Hey, hey, it's Neville Medora here. And today we're going to be talking about six different things. One, justifying what you charge the clients. Two, different coffees are all the same ingredients. Three, identifying pseudoscience. Four, using Google Lens to spot cool furniture. Five, how to not undercharge by accident and make sure you charge enough. And six, the eight revenue streams of copywriting course. So let's get started. This is a swipe that shows that every consultant and freelancer has had to do this at some point, and that's justify their cost. Sometimes a client is like, oh my God, this is so expensive. What am I getting? And the funny thing is sometimes these clients don't know how much work what you're doing is. So this fun swipe that I'm showing here shows a dog groomer who's sick of people leaving these snarky remarks like, wow, it costs less to get my haircut than my dog's haircut. Or like my haircut costs 30 bucks, but my hair my dog's haircut costs $80. What's going on? And they make these snarky little remarks. And uh, this one dog groomer got tired and made a sign as a price justification. And, and I love it. I'm going to read out a few of these things. But it says, the top 10 reasons why it costs more to get your pet groomed than your own haircut. So number 10 is your hairdresser doesn't wash and clean your rear end, which uh, very true. Uh, number nine, you don't go eight weeks without washing or brushing your hair. So, you know, the dog's hair gets more matted and stuff than your own hair. Um, number eight, your hairdresser doesn't give you a sanitary trim. Uh, what that means is the trim around your uh, <clears throat> private areas. Um, <laughs> number seven, uh, your hairdresser doesn't remove the boogies from your eyes. And it just goes down the list of all these different things that justify why a pet grooming costs so much more than a haircut. And I've actually always wondered this, like why it costs so much to get a dog groomed. And I do realize like you're grooming an entire animal, not just the top of its head a little bit, but like a whole animal, including its butt and stuff. So that's why it costs a lot more. Here's a bit of wisdom about coffee. So I use coffee all the time. I drink coffee and I think most of the world is somehow, you know, slightly addicted to caffeine. And if you're like me, you probably have no idea what different coffees mean. Like whenever I go to Starbucks or anything, they're like a macchiato, a flat white, a cafe breve, a cappuccino, a mocha, Americana. I don't know the difference actually. And so for the first time, this little image made this concept click. And an espresso is basically like the concentrate coffee. It's the stuff that in like in a shot glass that really wakes you up. That's where all the caffeine is. And all these different coffees are just varying levels of that espresso shot. So they all have that one espresso shot um, and then milk. And that's it. Uh, there's some other random ingredients like milk foam or steamed milk or water. But for the most part, basically all coffee is just a shot of espresso with varying levels of water or milk. That's it. And I was kind of shocked by this because I always thought there was like more stuff. I never even honestly really thought about it. But for just looking at this one image, I was like, oh, all coffee is about the same thing. It's just different levels of milk and espresso. How interesting. Speaking of interesting, here's something else interesting. Um, I like these little charts that uh, have frameworks. And this is a uh, framework for spotting pseudoscience. I actually think there's too many things on this list because there's 11 things to look through to spot something pseudoscience. But, you know, there's elections coming up, and I think people on the internet sometimes make claims they're like, crystals cure cancer, and you're like, whoa, that might not be totally correct. And so this this characteristics of pseudoscience chart goes through it and shows, uh, like, number one, it's unfalsifiable. Like, it makes vague or unobservable claims. Like, you could say, um, I drank uh, this type of water, and it cured XYZ thing. And you're like, well, uh, 
okay, like you, you got to go more into detail. Um, number two, it relies heavily on anecdotes or personal experiences. So I, I have this funny story from India that one time I had very bad upset stomach and I had to really almost go to the bathroom on the street. I know that's kind of gross. But I remember we went to a bar with friends. Me and my brother went to a bar with friends and I all had a drink and we had this rum called Old Monk Rum, which is popular in India. And I remember after drinking that rum, I did not have any problems with my stomach. And in my head, I was like, this is a miracle cure. And then I was telling that story to someone else and I realized what happened. I had that, uh, <laughs> I had that rum, but at the same time, I also went to the bathroom at that place. And uh, let's just say I spent a little time in there. And... Um, and I came back and my stomach was empty. And at the same time, I had that drink. And so in my mind, I'm like, old monk rum cured, you know, my upset stomach. But in reality, I probably just, you know, uh, had to go to the bathroom really bad. And so some people are like, old monk rum cures XYZ thing. But in reality, it's just an antidote you had with the personal experience. Anyways, I thought this was a really cool chart for uh, pseudoscience. I think you should take a look at it, save it, and uh, you'll be able to spot pseudoscience a little bit easier. Here's something interesting about pictures. So... Have you ever been, you know, at someone's house or uh, out and about somewhere and you see something, a furniture, an item, a, a fake plant, whatever, and you wonder where it's from and you're like, oh, that'd be cool in my house or I wonder how much that costs. So, uh, for example, I had these woven stool things in my garage gym area and uh, I think they look pretty cool, but there's no like tag on them that I would be able to spot where they're from. So how do I find one? Well, if you want to find out where to buy one, you just use Google Lens to find them. So this is actually just like on the Google app on your phone, or if you go to google.com on your phone, there's a little image icon and it'll pull up the app for you if you already have it. And it'll just pull up a camera and it'll say, point your camera um, at an object and you point it, it identifies it. And right away, it'll bring up all the different places you could buy that exact same item from or similar items. So I pointed my Google Lens at this, and right away, it pulled up all these different stools that look exactly the same, but for much cheaper. So the one I had was like in the $500 range. It was pr pretty expensive, actually, for like a, a cheap little stool. And so there's other ones there that are much cheaper, and you keep scrolling through the results, you can find ones from Amazon for like 50 bucks that look roughly the same. Now, are they going to be the same quality? Who knows? But the point is, you can find out how much something costs, where it's from, and then similar items that are similar to it. Same with this lamp. I liked it. So I, I pointed Google Lens at it. And right away, I could see the original lamp costs like 400 something dollars. But there's one that looks almost just like it for $200. If you keep scrolling down, you can find ones for even cheaper that, you know, don't look as good, but similar. Let's talk about this little essay I wrote called Don't Undercharge. And it's just a quick analogy. And it's a, it's a quick story about how not to undercharge when doing client work. So here's a quick story. In college, I bought this used moped from a Ducati dealership. And uh, you can see a picture of it. <laughs> it's kind of fun looking. And uh, me and the owner of this Ducati dealership, and Ducati is like a sport bike motorcycle brand. These, these motorcycles cost $25,000, $30,000. They're racing motorcycles. I was just buying a cheap Aprilia scooter from there. And me and this Ducati dealership owner started talking about ways to change his website to start ranking and Google as the number one result for a Ducati dealership. So I was, uh, he, start, he asked me to do the changes for him and send him an invoice. He really thought I knew what I was doing. And I said, let me come back to you and, and send you an invoice. And I was 20 years old at the time. I was in college. And I thought that if I did this project, $500 would be unreal. I'd be like, oh my God, if I gave, this guy gave me $500, that would be amazing. 
So I told my mentor at the time about this. And he said, uh, you better charge him at least $5,000 or I will slap you. And he literally said, slap me. <laughs> and it was hard to fathom for me, 20-year-old Neville, that someone would pay that much for a simple SEO project. Like their website was pretty good. It was ranked well. I just needed to like change a couple things on it. So I agreed to the mentor and I said, I'll try charging him $5,000. And he said something wise. He was like, you know, you could save 5,000 if he bulks like that. You could just go all the way down to 1,000. And if you say $1,000, that's still double than what you uh, originally anticipated. And so the best case scenario I thought was here was I would tell him $5,000, he'd laugh in my face, and I would say, okay, I'll do it for $2,000. If he laughs in my face again, I'll go down to $1,000. If he laughed in my face again, I'd go down to $500. And I still thought that was great money, so I didn't have much to lose. But a funny thing happened. I mustered up the courage to tell him $5,000. I, I couldn't even say it with a straight face. I told him the price, and instantly, like, I mean, instantly, he said, okay, cool, when do we start? He, I, I was, I was so flabbergasted. I didn't even know what to say next. Cause I really thought he would just bulk at the price. Instead. He was like, okay, cool. And I realized he didn't question the price and he immediately agreed to it. Meaning I probably could have charged him more. So I don't want to get too greedy and try charging him more. I already said 5,000, but that's when I realized to him, $5,000 was cheap to be ranked for Ducati dealerships. The guy sells multiple $25,000 sport bikes all day long. So to him, paying $5,000 to rank number one in the search results was not that much. I mean, if he makes one or two more sales, he makes up that price. So when working with businesses, try charging high, like 10x more than you think. Charge for the value that you're creating, and you can always negotiate lower. And I will say a word of caution. I would not do this over email. I find negotiating over email to be very powerless. Um, there's a different thing that happens when you're in the room with someone or on the phone or on a video call. And so anytime I negotiate, I always make sure I'm at least on a phone call and not on email. So I hope you learned something from that. Uh, here's a quick sketch. So I run a company called Copywriting Course. It has eight streams of revenue. Um, there's a couple of things, and I sketched it out over here. Uh, copywriting course subscriptions, swipefile.com ad revenue, a book I sell, one-on-one -on -one private consulting that I do every Tuesday, a YouTube channel, uh, Amazon affiliate stuff, email sponsorships in this, uh, in this email you're listening to over here, and number eight, advising companies. So I actually made a breakdown of how each one of these works here in this video, and you can go to copywritingcourse.com and see it. It's called... Uh, I break down the eight streams. I don't remember what the video is called. Anyways, I think to further optimize these revenue streams in 2023, I would like to do something. I would like to make the passive revenue streams higher. So this would include the YouTube ads, swipe file ads, and book revenue, and preferably the swipe email ad sponsorship. And if I can make those four, uh, you know, maybe double, triple, quadruple by 2023, that would, uh, would add up to a nice little chunk, you know? that I can use and save and buy other stuff with it. So that would be fun. So I think I might try that in 2023. And this is just a random aside. I think it'd be really fun to make uh, 2023 New Year's resolutions now. So most people, including myself, what we do is we make our New Year's resolutions on January 1st. And so what happens is you spend, you know, a couple of days like thinking about what they are, writing them down, getting really excited. There's all this social media posts about, you know, New Year's resolutions and you're, you're, you're like, I'm going to work out more. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you end up kind of like trailing off and losing momentum by the first month. Right? So what I propose this year and respond and let me know if you think this is cool. I think that Q4, you should make all your New Year's resolutions. So October, 2022. You should have you written out all your news, New Year's resolutions and narrowed down the list to the important ones, meaning like the top three things or five things. And then November 2022, 
would be all about figuring out how to systematize each of those goals. So for example, if you're just saying, I'm going to lose weight, that's not a real goal. You have to say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds by the end of the year. And one pound is 3,500 calories. And if I go into a 500 calorie deficit every day, every week I will lose one pound. So it'll take me 10 weeks to lose 10 pounds. Like that's a real systematized goal. And how are you gonna make sure that you hit that calorie limit each day and stop, et cetera. So systematizing the goals in November, then December, 2022, implement the plan. So everything starts working. Like you're actually working on your new year's resolution for the next year in December. And then by January 1st, instead of like, thinking of your plans, the goals are already in place and the systems are running. Wouldn't that be a better way to do this? So I might do that this year. So what do you think of that plan? Making your New Year's resolutions now and having them implemented by January 1st rather than started on January 1st. So I hope you like this. If you want, come join the copywriting course. We're about to do some stuff for Black Friday. I'm showing everyone how I do my uh, Black Friday promotions, how we do my holiday promotions, because, you know, during the time Q4, there's a lot of holidays going on. There's Thanksgiving in the United States and Canada. There's all sorts of holidays. There's Christmas, there's Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. And a lot of times I am with my family and friends enjoying the time, but my, uh, my old emails and sales are running on their own. And I'm going to show everyone inside of our course exactly how I do that. I basically share my screen and show the whole thing. So join the copywriting course, copywritingcourse.com. So join if you want to see that and do the same for your own promotions this month. Anyways, I am Neville Medora and I will talk to you later.